Welcome, listeners, to the 33rd episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Berhards. With me is co-wizard Christopher Wikström, who is currently not suspecting he has COVID. Robin, on the other hand, is under the weather, unfortunately, suspecting COVID. So there is just two of us here today. Also, I took my third vaccine shot today. So while I'm probably not in COVID, I'm sort of showing some symptoms of achings in my body and uh, perhaps a little little bit of fever so uh, we're gonna try and make this through anyway and as always the very best of welcome to you dear listeners hello everybody and yeah victor is looking a bit sore it's that 5.5 g installed update uh, but yeah it's gonna be a great time anyway so robin hope you get better soon i do it all for the illuminati Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Tech app. In today's episode, we will discuss some paper play, and we will also convene a non-special but very important meeting of the Basic Land Connoisseur panel to talk about Maverick. First thing first, though, the week in Paper Legacy. Christopher, how was that week? So I decided to play some Discord magic with a friend who is uh, quite the Grixis specialist. And uh, I really wanted him to play specifically Grixis because I had Ant sleeved up at Nauseam Tendrils. And uh, I think that matchup is super interesting because he's playing a lot of discard and, you know, a lot of counter magic and post board. You see all, all sorts of like hard hoops to jump through. So I really wanted, you know, a, a quite difficult matchup to try out. And... Uh, yeah, I really think Agnosium Tendrils is one of those decks that, you know, always has a spot somewhere in the meta. It might be really tricky to be a six discard spell deck in a Ragavan meta, but uh, like I don't really play that much against Ragavan decks, um, not in our local meta or on Discord. So, uh, like in Stockholm, Agnosium Tendrils might be a really good choice, actually. But I did try out one of the cards from Mono Horizons that I had not tried out yet, which was Eve, Progenitor Ooze, which is the, I think, only creature with a storm mechanic on it. And it was extremely fun, you know, when, when you're sitting there thinking about what out your opponent could have, what could they have in hand, do they have a fluster storm or, you know, stuff like that. It's always nice to just being being able to go for a wish claw line and make, you know, five, six ooze tokens, which against most opponents just ends the game. So I had a really good time playing some Atnasim Tendrils. It's a deck that I used to play a bit back in the day. I've been trying to branch out into TES a bit, but we'll see where, where that leads if I someday will will give that a go as well. But then we also played some some games, you know, Shekpile versus Grixis. And that that's uh, another story because having the green, so you have Uro and Veils, really yeah, yeah. makes that matchup extremely tricky for the opponent. It, it's kind of funny though, like the list that my, my friend is playing, we have been iterating quite a bit on it. Uh, we, we write about uh, Grixis a lot to each other. And his uh, threat base is like he has Merktites in his Grixis control deck, which gives his uh, like normally uh, like a very slow control deck, like the opportunity to just give some extremely quick clocks. Like 
you're like a Hymtorak Fatsis deck. When the opponent doesn't really have, have much gas left, uh, being able to just play a Merktide and close the game in, in two free hits it can be extremely nice. And he's also trying out some new spice with uh, the five, five mana Nickel Bolas Planeswalker, which is also extremely powerful if it gets to resolve. I unfortunately went above that and played the seven mana Tibolt. Oh, <laughs> did you not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, extremely nice. I figured this is this is a deck that can get to seven mana. I'm playing with Bloom Commands. Uh, I'm playing a lot of removal spells. So just being able to, you know, end of turn Colagans Command, you discard, I pick up Valky, and then... Uh, just jam a seven mana planeswalker can be good in in certain matchups. Uh, so I had a, a great time with that. It's a beautiful card. I picked them up before the cascade change happened, and uh, this was the second time I got to hard cast the Tibalt. The other one was in another deck. I think straight up Grixis, but it was great playing it here as well. So uh, Victor, did you get to play the magic? No, uh, as I was suspecting uh, I had COVID last week, I chose uh, not to head out to the LGS, also had no online time playing. And I luckily for me uh, and my family and so on, uh, I did not have COVID, but still I found that out only late Friday night. Uh, I realized, because this was the first PCR test I ever took. Uh, I mean, we're not going to go heavy into COVID talk here because, you know, you can find that in any podcast of your choice and any topic you want the <laughs> podcast to be originally, it's just going to be about COVID. But of course, they work around the clock, sort of, you know, doing these tests and, and confirming these tests. So I got my answer at 10.35 p.m. on Friday night. <laughs> and by then, sort of, Friday night kind of has happened. So um, I was yeah. on my couch being like, oh, you know, I'm fine. But yeah, I'm just going to keep watching this YouTube Dungeons & Dragons clip <laughs> for the next two hours <laughs> anyway, because I have no plans. So no, uh, no paper play for me. I have so many friends who've had two or three shots who are on their second bout of COVID since it started. Omicron seems to sort of really penetrate uh, a lot of defenses that are out there. A lot of people are not getting too ill, you know, luckily, but some are. Uh, and we need to take this seriously. You know, it's going to put a dent in our playing plans and, I mean, tonight our, our podcasting plans as well. I mean, hearing you getting to play some Valky warms my heart. It is... Um, <laughs> yeah, like a, it's uh, sometimes, you know, I've, uh, I've made a choice to uh, chill a bit on the LGS play. Um, that's also due to me having to go to the campus uh, at my university. I was, uh, I had a math test today and, uh, you know, the, if I have to uh, like pick my poison or like choose when I get exposed, it's going to be, be for like mandatory school stuff. But you did, you did get to hold a paper deck. I did get to hold a paper deck because I visited you in your home. That's right. Delivering a podcasting hardware that you probably will have had set up by next week. So yeah, I visited Christopher's place, sort of just on the on the fly, delivering some stuff. He invited me in. So we sat on your couch, watched uh, Awesome Games Done Quick for a while, and I flipped through some really wonderful stuff. <laughs> yeah, he he got to see the Bug Witch deck that I have uh, sleeved up. 
I've talked about it a bit. Oh yeah, I mean we've talked about this deck ever since the witch was was spoiled, but you know you've never actually had it physically on you when we've met uh, the very rare occasions we have met in this past year in person. Yeah. So it was a delight to have those cards <laughs> sift through my fingers. It's a deck that exists, everybody. <laughs> Whether it's real or not, it exists truly exists it's probably the one deck i would really try to play if i had the duels for it can always borrow it yeah yeah, yeah. i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that <laughs> like it's one of those decks that you have so many options and all of them are kind of lukewarm unless you're doing something extremely powerful which sounds weird because it's kind of brewish but you know when you get to go turn two growth spiral into wasteland and then with the bloom command on waste again and you, you are still on two mana. Your opponent could be on zero lands at that point. It's extremely nice, especially those with the Bloom commands, man. They, they mill cards, they make the Merktide grow, they make the unearths hit a lot of relevant targets like Sedgemore Witches and stuff like that, Grist. So it's, uh, it's extremely nice. And that also reminds me, uh, I sent this in our, in our uh, small backroom Discord. Like on the morning, like uh, when I when I've made breakfast, uh, my wife and I usually watch some sort of show, maybe a short cartoon or something like that, and we decided to rewatch one that we both really enjoyed called Over the Garden Wall, and the first episode is fucking called The Old Grist Mill, <laughs> and that's just <laughs> I couldn't the believe old it. Old Grist I, Mill. I was like. I'm so sorry, and I had to pause and just rewind and take a picture of it. But yeah, the first episode is called The Old Grist Mill. So what was the name of the show again? Over the Garden Wall. So we're going to have to make a deck now that's called Over the Garden Wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's the the name for Bug Witch then, because I'm playing Free Grist and that. But uh, yeah, it's also a really good show. So everyone who hasn't seen it, like each episode is 10 minutes long. And it's it's just great. It's uh, it's like dark humor, feel good, funny, but also extremely dark. It has some really good voice actors in it, like Elijah Wood is in it and stuff like that. So it's it's extremely good. You should check it out. We'll put a link to the show in the episode description, and uh, you can repost the Bug Witch deck in the Discord. According to the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, which is of course the one dictionary I as a non-native English speaker always refer to because I am a Googler, they define maverick as a person who refuses to follow the customs or rules of a group. It is not obvious how that translates into a white-green X, sometimes X I should say, legacy deck that is based on white-green creature decks from the survival of the fittest era, but was transformed in 2011 with the printing of Green Sun's Zenith. The number one reference for Maverick Things, which is greensunscenith.com, something you should check out if you are at all any kind of 
you know, interested in this deck. They attribute the name of this deck being basically taken from the MTGO username of an early inventor of the deck, uh, Louis Vicciano. Of course, as with any legacy deck with an actual name, there are about 10 other sort of name origin stories here. I tried to find sort of translations to Swedish from the word Maverick, which was interesting because you would get a large variety of, of suggestions, which uh, one of them, uh, which would translate it back into Lone Wolf. Yeah, that's the one I'm I'm familiar with. Like, uh... It doesn't really sort of, um, I mean, for anyone who is older than 35, I don't know if this will be a reference that you catch, Christopher. Have you seen the movie Top Gun? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> I have <laughs> yeah. to ask, yes. because you are yes. so young, you have all these references. Uh, yeah, like me and my brother, when we grew up, we used to watch maybe five to six movies a week together. I've seen everything, probably. I've, I've seen Top Gun. I'm not impressed, but I, I know the Maverick reference in that as well. Ah, so this is where you're sure young. You've seen Top Gun and you're not impressed. That's your problem. So, okay, in Top Gun, Tom Cruise plays an air pilot with the code sign uh, Maverick. Of course, the main sort of takeaway from Top Gun is, of course, to see Val Kilmer cast as code sign Iceman. <laughs> fantastic fantastic performance i mean while kilmer always great in any movie he does perhaps uh, sort of sometimes hampered by the scripts not being great but anyway we're derailing a bit <laughs> okay okay quick quick uh, val kilmer quiz sure <laughs> what character does he voice in prince of egypt in prince of egypt what characters it's multiple actually what characters i'm just gonna hazard a guess here that it's gonna be Either it's going to be like the pharaoh and some dude, or it's going to be sort of two random anime-style sort of uh, creatures that are talking to the main characters that they sort of meet in a sand dune somewhere mid-movie. Give me the answer here, please. He's Moses and God, because they (laughs) decided to cast Val Kilmer as Moses. And actually, uh, the pharaoh is uh, not too far off because that's also a white actor it's patrick stewart so it's an extremely weird voice uh, choices there but zero for one <laughs> on your val kilmer quiz i mean it, it's it's the costing of that is is sort of closer to home than one might think because val kilmer is also a follower of extremely weird religions so anyway maverick a person who refuses to follow the customs or rules of a group i think for this deck you can translate that into sort of why would you still play this deck in the current legacy method has been going on for quite a while in the same way that you would ask someone perhaps why persist playing grixis which sort of is a huge <laughs> challenge it's like it's like saying someone to someone why would you keep playing death and taxes when the Colgan command was first printed because the deck became sort of nigh unplayable but of course the answer is that you love to play the deck and that's what paper legacy to me is Perhaps not all about, but a lot about. We love this. This is great. I have Maverick currently not sleeved up, but I have all the all the cards except for I don't own a cradle. So if I wanted to go to a big tournament, I'd have to sort of borrow that from someone. And considering how expensive it is right now, I probably wouldn't want to do that just in fear of someone else spilling coffee on it. But it's a green white basically deck. At least any iteration of Maverick is going to have plains and forests in them. So let's convene the Basic Land Connoisseur panel to talk about said plains and forests. I'm going to ask you, Christopher, to take it away first. Like uh, some listeners might know, I don't usually play white all that often. But Maverick is one of those decks that I just 
always get happy uh, when I see. Like there's something about Knight of the Reliquary, um, you know, the eventual Garoktig and uh, stuff like that. It feels like an extremely honest deck, which when I played a lot of magic, like in my in my youth, like that was a very common like play style, uh, which I really enjoy uh, seeing. And sure, there are some versions or what can you say variants of this text that has outgrown the straight up version of it. You see all, all different kinds of it. Some Punishing Maverick build, some Dark Maverick during Deathrite Shaman era. So the thing that I chose my lands for was the straight up, quote unquote, honest G, like GW Maverick. So I actually, I actually picked, first, small shout out. I was really close on picking Lorewind Basics because Gadok Teague is, for me, the Maverick card. That and Knight of the Reliquary. Gotta respect Captain Gadok. Yeah, like uh, that grumpy old man. He like he would. <laughs> I would not even get mad if he just let me have it. You know, telling me how how our Jews like respect your elders and stuff like that. I would just let him have it. <laughs> like uh, tear me a new one, Teague. But the ones that I picked actually sort of mirrors my image towards this extremely honest. Uh, deck. So I actually picked two lands from Odyssey instead. Uh, the Plains is 334 by Rob Alexander. And it has, it's extremely simple. It has a big field and looks like some sort of late summer crop with a sunset, which is kind of violet and, uh, and blue. And this is kind of like the philosophy for me with Maverick. There aren't really that many tricks that you can't see on board when you play against this deck. It's all open. Like what you have to get through is on the battlefield. And that is usually a hurdle <laughs> anyways. And I think this is just like the uh, nothing's under the table kind of planes. Uh, besides it being extremely beautiful, I just think that it really fits the the Maverick aesthetic of, you know, nothing's under the table. And the forest kind of looks the same. It's uh, not the same as, you know, it has all of the different colors, but it's uh, also Odyssey version 347 by Larry Elmore. And the reason why I picked this is kind of like the same reason, you know. A lot of times when you see magic forests, they look, uh, they look really thick. They look really green and magical. And this is kind of like the opposite. There are like these really neatly placed trees. You can, it, it feels like nothing's hiding in this picture. It's the, the theme of honesty and, you know, like fair magic, uh, all about it. Like everything, nothing's hiding. Everything's in play. Everything is begging you to <laughs> solve the, like, there's, there, there are no tricks here. Maybe with endurance now, but it's it's fair, simple, and clean. So, uh, what do you think about these picks? I mean, the plains is, as you say, it's, it's a beautiful picture. It really captures actually the sunset I got to see when I walk my daughter back from preschool uh, earlier today. You have this this special type of sunset, but it's quite chilly outside. It's partly cloudy, but your clouds are low, so the sun will sort of turn the low clouds on the horizon 
violet and even pink but then you will have in the higher sky you will still have a blue sky because there are no clouds there to catch the sunlight so it becomes this i mean not inverted but it becomes this very interesting and special sky color pattern and i think uh, rob alexander has really really captured this here in a very in a very insightful way that you actually have this light blue sky above the pink horizon sunset i think that's beautiful and it's a very suggestive way of uh, painting what i would interpret as some kind of wheat field but it's windy it's a bit blurred and it gives this sort of more life to this picture than you might want to believe that just essentially a painting of a wheat field could give you so uh Again, as many times before, Rob Alexander shining here. Uh, I like this pick a lot. Feels very mavericky, this pick, with your explanation as well. I, I, I wholeheartedly buy that. And the forest, uh, the same here. I, I really go with your pick of... Because like, Maverick is a deck that sort of... It doesn't have to hide anything. <laughs> when it wins, it wins anyway. There is that Knight Reliquary on the table. It's just going and going and going. And you know that this is just an unstoppable machine of a creature deck. It's just going to eventually you know, eat you alive. So, And also, I mean, this, this has these thick, sort of sparsely placed, because there is no undergrowth here in this forest. There's just trees. So they sit quite sort of close to each other. But since there is no undergrowth, you sort of have really good sort of view, vision through the forest as well. And this very orangey forest floor, which sort of is, are these leaves or are these sort of some kind of red earth? Very interesting and sort of more suggestive, again, like the first picture than you would think at first. So uh, Odyssey, bringing it. Yeah, Odyssey is always a banger. So uh, what about you, Victor? What did you pick? So I, I thought for a while, what type of deck is Maverick to me? And I came up with the conclusion that one way of describing Maverick is to say this is a crop rotation deck because sort of the whole point is to replace one land with another and that's sort of the main engine of the deck really and that's what the card crop rotation does even though of course there are no copies of crop rotation in a standard Maverick list. Uh, this first uh, pick, my planes, is number 231 from Theros uh, by Stephen Belladin and this is essentially a very wide view on sort of endless uh, fields uh, again wheat fields here as well being sort of you can see several fields because they're being sort of uh, fenced off by vegetation like these green hedges that sort of mark the edges of sort of this is uh, farmer's field and this is the next farmer's field and so on but it just goes all the way into the horizon and obviously this is meant to capture some kind of greek essence of a sort of you, you you're supposed to get the impression that you are somewhere in greece here as you are with sort of most if not all theorist basics which i think they usually capture at least a sense that you should think that this is greece uh, i haven't been to greece enough to actually sort of know if these are true depictions perhaps any listeners that live in greece can can adjust this but since crop rotation is about farming uh, i wanted to essentially get a farmer's land for my plains and then for the forest the other side of crop rotation is of course decay that spurs rebirth which is golgari in magic so i have taken card number 270 from return to ravnica which is a forest by the one and only John Avon. Again, 
bringing it with, of course, it's a city-themed forest that has, I think, captures that essence of Golgari, which is that destruction and regrowth, the, the ever-churning life cycle, where the Golgari component of that is at the very bottom, the sort of uh, often, I mean, disrespected or considered to be ugly or in, in, uh, in a state of uh, deprivation, perhaps. But, I mean, essential f- for life. And I think that really fit the 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 crop rotation concept of a maverick text. So that's why I wanted to put uh, a Golgari forest there. What do you think? Yeah, I, I really like them. And this, like, first of all, the, the Pharaoh's land, it's kind of like the same mentality that I went into uh, with the, you know, nothing's hidden. You can see it's it's very clear, like you, it it feels very honest. And I really enjoyed what you said about the, the actual crop rotation, like uh, I'm <laughs> I'm no farmer, but um, r- like rotation crop um, when you uh, switch different crop between different farmland to uh, I don't know nutrients stuff like that minerals in the ground. It has some some maverick feeling about it. Like most of the times, uh, plains like these mostly end up in the bin as a wasteland and. <laughs> targeting one of your opponent's lands, but it's, uh, I, I really enjoy it. And I think this might be the first or the second time we actually have Pharaohs uh, featured. You might've had one uh, when we talked about uh, ma- like Merfolk or High Tide, but this is uh, extremely nice. I think it's, uh, I, I also lo- like that it's a long shot. Like it's, uh, it has a lot of depth in it and uh, like un- uneven uh, landscape, like there are different heights to it which uh, really uh, makes it feel a lot more like it feels really massive and so i think that's a really nice pick and the the forest like whenever i see uh, like ravnica the parts of the city i always get nostalgic and i i really do enjoy golgari it's uh, it's my favorite of the mine too for sure yeah it's like decay and rebirth and uh that's where Maverick maybe maybe it has died off a bit, but uh, it's it might be ready to be reborn again, maybe with some Max Diamonds and expressive iterations. But we'll see. I really I really enjoy this picture. Uh, it 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 has like a, a Jarad feeling from uh, Return to Ravnica. The I'm not sure if if it's the the leader of a Golgari during Return to Ravnica. But yeah, the Lich Lord. It has uh, it has some good Jarad feelings, and it feels like he and Teague would have uh, a lot to talk about over tea. So yeah, I I approve. I want Gerard as a planeswalker. I want to do magic things with him. Jarad, then again, perhaps oh. I mean we have Grist, so then again, uh, does the trick. <laughs> Isn't that like a? like a common theme like uh, whenever there's a new Ravnica block the Golgari leader is always like dead or a new one I don't know actually the, the only one I sort of have any any stronger connection to are the the ghost council of the Orsov which I think is just such a great great concept of having these dead guys uh, hanging around in in an unholy church somewhere just sort of deciding things I uh, I quite enjoyed that lore yeah, exactly. Still collecting tax. Yeah, it's uh, there are there are some really cool like uh, leaders uh, overall, like in Ravnica. I think I think 
the lore is is really sweet and uh, yeah i think the ghost council might be one of one of the cooler designs not maybe like card wise but their cards are, have always been like pretty cool as well but uh, some some planeswalker which should not be named might have killed them or what is kaya ghost assassin says <laughs> on the name can't believe you've done this I mean, I'm also a big, big fan of Niv Misset uh, before he died. Oh, but then he became f- five-color dragon. <laughs> yeah, five, it's just a bit weird. It's funny, but it's weird. But, I mean, uh, Niv Misset in his original state, super badass, I would say. Really cool character. And that is all we have for this week. A bit of a shorter episode as we are cut one co-host short. We hope you enjoy this episode anyway and hoping that you are able to stay as safe as possible out there take care of yourself and each other and thank you for listening this week if you had fun and if you want to support the show you can help us grow by telling a friend on the internet where i presume you will be spending most of your time uh, currently um, (laughs) or at least more time than usual so uh, thank you in advance for that help if you want to reach out to us personally, a great way is to join the Discord server. Please find the link in this episode information. You can also hit us up on Twitter at STHLM Stockholm Legacy. We are present personally on some social media as well. Christopher, where can listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter. I go under the handle MonolithMTG. And you can find me on Twitter as well at DiscoDrogo. That is the end of the 33rd episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Christopher Bigstrom, for coming. Warm thank you again to you for listening. The amazing Frenes has written our music. You can check them out on Spotify. Until next time, remember that knowledge of Bant's landscape and ruins is a weapon that the invaders can't comprehend.